Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And I'm so thrilled to be joined today by Tony-nominated actress Josie de Guzman. Josie will be presenting a show featuring stories and songs from her life and career at the Green Room 42 on Friday, September 8th and Sunday the 10th. You won't want to miss the show, and you can find the link to tickets in the episode description. Among Josie's Broadway credits include starring in the revivals of West Side Story and Guys and Dolls, as well as Runaways, Carmelina, and Nick and Nora. She's also performed in countless plays at the Alley Theatre in Houston, and in She Loves Me, The Music Man, Carmen, and others around the country. But before we get to the interview, I'm delighted to present a very special clip from Backstage Babble Live at 54 Below on July 17th, where Josie is telling stories and singing from Guys and Dolls, accompanied by Michael Levine at the piano. Please enjoy that clip right now. Josie de Guzman. Me too. Me too. Well, so tell us what it was like to sing If I Were a Bell eight times a week on Broadway. (laughs) Well, it was a joy, of course, right. Um, But I do have a couple of little stories that are kind of funny, I think. Um, I don't know if, well, most of you don't know, I was kind of shot out of a cannon and landed in Guys and Dolls. (laughs) I had like one rehearsal with Jerry Zachs, one rehearsal with the stage managers, and the put-in rehearsal, and I was given my choreography at 4.30. I'll never forget, it was 4.30 in the afternoon, <laughs> the day I went on. Um, so it was uh, the fifth preview, and uh, I guess Sarah got a little too drunk during a fire or a bell, and uh, I had a lot of fun that night. I'm up in my dressing room, and I, um, yeah, I opened the door. Jerry Zachs, you can't do it that way, Josie. You can't do it that way. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Jerry. I guess I was rehearsing on stage since I didn't have any rehearsal. It was a preview, so I was trying something. I'm sorry. And um, it all worked out. I love Jerry Zachs, and I learned a lot from him. And then there's this other cut to, like, my 600th performance of If I Were a Bell. And I'm on stage with Tom Wopat, and... um, Ask me how do I feel? Ask me now that we're cozy and clinging. Well, sir, cha-cha-cha-cha, I be ringing. <laughs> what the hell? I, I couldn't think of the title of the song. <laughs> and it happens three times in the song. <laughs> 
every time we would approach, and I knew it was coming, I was like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Cha-cha-cha-cha. So, so the song is over. Tom throws me over his shoulder, carries me off stage, puts me down, goes, cha-cha-cha-cha. That's a first for me. So that's it. I yes. hope I remember my lyrics tonight. Ask me how do I feel? Ask me now that we're cozy and clingy. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a bell, I'd be ringing. From the moment we kiss tonight, that's the way I've just got to behave. Boy, if I were a lamp, I'd light. And if I were a banner, I'd wave. Ask me, how do I feel? Little me with my quiet upbringing. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a gate, I'd be swinging. Or if I were a watch, I'd start popping my spring. Or if I were a bell, like a ding dong, ding dong, ding. Ask me how do I feel from this chemistry lesson I'm learning. Chemistry? Yeah, chemistry. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a bridge, I'd be burning. Yes, I knew my morale would crack from the wonderful way that you looked. Boy, if I were a duck, I'd quack. And if I were a goose, I'd be cooked. Ask me, how do I feel? Ask me now that we're fondly caressing. Pal, if I were a salad, I know I'd be splashing my dressing. Ask me how to describe this whole beautiful thing. Well, if I were a bell, I'd go ding dong, ding dong. And now, without further ado, here's Josie de Guzman. Thank you. Well, so I would love to begin by asking you, how did you first become interested in performing? Well, um, I have to, my mom, God bless her. Oh. Uh, I remember her taking me as a little girl. I was born in New York, and she took me to the ballet to see Nutcracker's Suite. And I remember I was only two years old, but she told me I never moved. I watched the whole thing. And at the end, I do remember turning to her and saying, I want to be a ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so anyway, we moved to Puerto Rico. She loved musical theater and opera. And there's a genre in Spanish called zarzuela that are kind of like Spanish operettas. I don't know if you've heard of them, but... um, there was always music in my house playing and she used to sing and my father sang and my grandmother played the piano. And, um, 
so it was always present and and then she brought us to New York from time to time. We would come for a week and we would just see musicals. Uh-huh. And uh, so um, I remember her bringing me, I saw um, Fiddler. I remember seeing King and I once. I remember seeing uh, Company wow. and um, Hair. I remember I was a... I was a young girl, and she said, now, Josie, and there's going to be nudity on stage. (laughs) (laughs) But I just remember being just blown away by Broadway and musicals. And and in my school, I went to a, a private school in Puerto Rico. The nuns always had yearly productions of zarzuelas and then later musicals. And, um, the, the nun, when I was in high school, came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, "I wanna, I want you to play Guinevere in Camelot." <laughs> I wow. went like, "What?" <laughs> and that opened a whole new door because I always saw myself as a dancer. Um, but once I did Camelot and I was able to act and sing, I it just like everything. It's like a whole box opened and. I found myself like, okay, that's what I'm doing. So, um, and I had a wonderful uh, director who uh, directed me in Camelot. And then he coached me for my auditions and I ended up at the Boston Conservatory and Mm -hmm. I was like a fish in water. That was it. (laughs) I must say my mom, I I do give credit to my mom. She she was the one. Oh, yes. And... Were there certain performers who you looked up to especially or wanted to emulate? Or... Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell I loved, I loved Donna McKegney uh-huh. because she was a dancer, right? And I remember seeing her in company, and I was just blown away by her. She was so beautiful and such a beautiful dancer. Oh, and Promises, Promises, too. Um, Jill O'Hara, I, I remember seeing her uh, play the lead in, in Promises, Promises. Um, people, like, I, I, I guess I, I looked up to people as a young, young actor. I, my favorite, my favorite actress was Lee Bowman. She, I looked up to and wanted to, I wanted to emulate her. And so once you were in college in Boston, what was the process like of sort of finding your niche in terms of the types of roles that you'd be playing? And Mm. Well, I studied musical theater and kind of was given, you know, I was in, um, uh, I, I did, I did company and oddly enough, I got to play the TikTok dancer. Uh-huh. Oh my God. And uh, that was one of the times where I totally lost myself in the moment of the TikTok dance. I lost a uh, sense of place and time. I was just in the dance. I was. It was such an exciting uh, thing for me to it was a dream come true to get to to do that so i did i i did company and um 
we did some straight plays. It was so long ago, Charles, that I don't remember. I remember doing the Real Inspector Hound. Oh, and I remember doing an Albie piece, um, Everything in the Garden. Mm -hmm. I, I got to play the girl in Butterflies for Free in college. And then for my senior year, um, the um, head of the acting department um, asked me, he said, I want you to play Gigi. Oh, so I got to play Gigi, and uh, I felt that I wanted to do musicals, and of course that's what I went for, but I always also wanted to do plays, not just musicals. Right. So uh, I started, you know, I came to New York, and I met Elizabeth Suedos, and um, that was a long collaboration, and... Um, a huge learning experience for me. And, um, and Liz was very um, loyal to her actors. And uh, she always wanted to work with you if she liked you. So I was very lucky in that I got to do, um, well, first I auditioned her for Nyko Cantata. I just got into the city. Uh -huh. And, um, she said to me, oh, I'm going to ruin your voice, so uh, I'm not going to cast you in this. <laughs> That's funny. And then um, when, and she cast Shelley Plimpton in it, and I went to see it at the Village Gate, and it was amazing. What an amazing piece that was. Uh, I think Bill Castellino just did a small revival off Broadway that I went to see, and the kids were fantastic they were so great and he really because he was connected to the original he assisted Liz in that he really got gets what the piece is about you know so it was wonderful to see again with a new blood and new artists doing that piece but anyway she then um when she, when the musical went to on the road to Boston and Washington, Shelley decided not to go on the road. And she called me and she said, I want you to be in Nyko Cantata, but I need you to learn the material in two weeks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, David Schechter took me under his wing and I worked very, very hard. And I went off to do the tour. <clears throat> and... Um, I'll never forget the day she had me, she taught me the bird lament, which was a piece that only she did. And she allowed me to do that piece when they went on the road, because she did it on, on Off-Broadway at the Village Gate. Mm -hmm. So I was so honored. In any case, from then on, we started, you know, she said, okay, I want you to do Runaways. And then I did Haggadah with her, and then she wrote a musical for me. And she told me this at, uh, during Runaway. She said, you know, I've written a musical for you uh -huh. called Lullaby and Goodnight about <clears throat> prostitutes, <laughs> pimps and prostitutes. And, um, and I was very excited. But then when the time came, Pap felt that he wanted to go with someone else. Uh -huh. And... Um, it was, it was hard for me, but uh, I was lucky. It's all so connected. You know, I was doing West Side, right? Wow. 
Right. And um, and I I was going off to do West Side Story in Europe and in Paris. So I said to Liz, don't worry about it, Liz. I understand sometimes these things happen. I'm going to Europe with West Side and we'll reconvene, you know, when I get back. Well, I'm finishing up in Paris and I get a call from, from Pap, from Joe Pap, <laughs> telling me, Josie, um, can you come and do Lullaby? And um, again, can you learn it? Our first preview is in nine days. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some training for guys and dogs. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Well, so I would love to ask with um, Runaways, which we were mentioning earlier, did you have a sense that it would transfer to Broadway or were you told that? No. When it was? You know, in those days, we just, I never thought that way, honestly. I, for me, I was immersed in the work. And the work was so interesting and exciting we were creating a piece with Liz Suedos, and a lot of those kids had never, ever been on stage before. Right. You know, and they were, some of them were even street kids. And so we were all in it together working really, really hard. And we rehearsed for five months, Charles. Wow. We had the luxury of creating a piece in five months. So that's unheard of. Right. And I never thought, so Broadway was a huge surprise for all of us. You know, Diane Lane was in that cast, God bless her. And uh, she got this big movie while we were doing Runaways downtown. I'll never forget. And we were all so excited for her because she was off to do a little romance, you know. And um, Trini Alvarado was like my little sister. I had to, because she came in later, and uh, Liz put me under, put her under my tutelage, and I was teaching her everything while, so she could catch up to us, because when we were going to Broadway, she came in towards the end of the run downtown. Um, So, yeah, we didn't know. It was a huge surprise for all of us. And, you know, that was the year that Star Wars came out, and I remember Joe... For Christmas, before Star Wars came out, he for I don't know how <laughs> he got um, he got the the movie and he did a screening, a private screening for us, oh. right in the rehearsal hall. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow! We were like, oh my god! Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. Amazing. And what was Elizabeth Suedos like as a director in terms of her collaboration and? that she was very very tough she was old school and uh, some people would say she was too tough um at times um it was painful uh but um she was also extremely loyal and supportive her Things her her pieces I felt were very pure. They were they tended to be dark, but they were very pure. There was um, I don't think she was thinking, oh I want a Broadway hit. Uh, she was just trying to express 
her talent, you know. Right. So I, I would say it was a very tough, really tough. She was a very tough director. But I'm, I'm grateful to her because she wouldn't let me, you know, she wouldn't let me get away with being like, even like you're, you're not aware, you know, and you have someone come up and say to you, I don't want you to, you're faking. I, I don't huh. want, don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's not, that's not what I want. And you're learning, right? Cause you're very, very young and you're, you're like, whoa, somebody just called me on something that I wasn't even aware. So uh, I'm very grateful to her because she really taught me the, the sacredness of, of the stage, you know, and the pureness and um, getting in touch with the real humanity, humanity right. in characters. And so I would love to ask about her Passover piece as well, for those who don't know it. And what was that piece sort of like? And... Yes. Um, that Passover piece, again, she collaborated with her actors when we were, because we were, we were creating it from scratch. So she would have improvs like, um, I'll never forget, um, in you know, the the Jews in, in Egypt and how the Jews were slave. And she said, okay, now imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're about to be, you're working on these pyramids and you're about to be buried in them. What is that going to be like? And, and I remember in the improv, I, I, I came, but something happened to me and I just came up with this, this, scream that she said okay let's let's use that right uh -huh. so that was something that she it was kind of a mix of a scream and a and but it was it had a musicality to it, it was it, but it was anyway she liked that and she used it again we had like a couple of months to create that because we were on the under the auspices of joe path right right and so did you find that Joe Papp shared the same sort of toughness that Elizabeth Suedos had? And well, no, he wasn't. No, I think he had a different. Um, he wasn't directing us, right? So he wasn't right. with us constantly. Um, he was um, more like a father figure to us. He was very strong, but he was not as tough i don't not with us right. <laughs> and how did you end up doing the uh english spanish translations for runaways as well let me oh yes well i remember liz would ask me to translate and i would just translate for her you know like um twinkle twinkle little star you know brilla brilla estrellita en el cielo pequeñita or she would say okay what's what's up like, you know, how you play patty cakes, patty cakes right. in English. She said, oh, okay, so do you guys have something that you... And so I came up with theme, you know, which I, as a young girl, you know, stuff like that, that I... And um, Ladies of the Night, there was a song that, um, that she wanted me to translate, so I translated it 
and then she ended up using it in English, just a just a verse of it. I it wasn't hard for me because I'm bilingual to right. do that for her. Um, I'll never forget she had me backing up all the kids singing wise because the kids some of them were very young. Like Diane and I did um, the the child prostitute song, and she had a stage Diane in the front and me in the back on the bleachers with Ray Contreras and Diane sang her song, but I was singing it with her to help her because it was eight shows a week, you know, and it was hard for Diane was like 12 years, you know, 12 years old. And, um, because we recorded the song together and then I was, you know, they took my voice out for the recording, but I was helping. Right. So, we were facing each other and I just felt we became one person. It was kind of amazing. Oh yeah. yeah. That is amazing. And, yeah. and when you are doing a show like that, that has some of these sort of dark themes in it, what is the process like of sort of keeping that separated from your personal life? Even despite the fact that you're, you are doing it eight times a week and mm-hmm. you know, Charles, that is, such a good question. I, I, um, I don't. I think it affects you. I remember when Westside closed, I felt like I had lost a, a child. Uh. Honestly, I mean, it was very dramatic for me. I kind of wandered for a long time <laughs> trying to get myself back. Um, I think that's part of the beauty. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. No, no problem. Part of the beauty of being uh, an actor is giving it your all. And I feel like in a beautiful way and not in a way that takes away from you or from the audience, but in a giving way, it should cost you. It costs, you know, when you're, doing a tragedy, you're in it, right? Right. So you want to give your all to it. That's wonderful. And so before we do talk about West Side Story, I would love to ask to about Carmelina and how did that first come about? Oh, (laughs) Carmelina. Um, Yes, you know, West Side, it's all kind of like, uh, connected in a way, uh, but um, I'll stick to Carmelina. Carmelina, I auditioned for Carmelina, and um, I was cast as Gia Campbell. I knew Jose Ferrer. Uh, Jose Ferrer kind of took me under his wing. Um, uh, long story, my, my brother and Jose Ferrer did Man of La Mancha in Puerto Rico. Huh. My brother played the head muleteer, and um, they became very good friends. And then through my brother, I met Jose. And Jose had kids. We were all similar ages. And so when Jose would come to Puerto Rico in the summers, they had an apartment, a penthouse. Um, I would come. I would be invited. It was great. And I would hang out with his daughter, Maria. But I met. I hung out with Miguel and Gabri and Rafi and Moncita because they were all coming to Puerto Rico. And, but Maria and I were the closest. Um, and um, so then uh, I knew Jose when I 
was Captain Carmelina. And unfortunately, it didn't last very long. It was not, you know, we went on the road because at that time, you did go on the road to try try things out before you brought them to Broadway. Right. And um, it was unfortunate that it didn't last, but it was a great opportunity to work with giants, right? I mean, come mm-hmm. on, Alan J. Lerner. It's not every day that you have Alan J. Lerner and Burton Lane write a song for you, right? Right. It's not every day that you get to play Georgia Brown's daughter. <laughs> um. So... Yeah, it, it was um, it was quite wonderful, and it kind of acted as a in between for me because when I was doing Runaways, I was invited to sing Leonard Bernstein's 60th birthday oh. at Wolf Track, and after I sang there, I remember uh, Bernstein asked me to walk in with him. They had a smaller party um, at the Watergate Hotel. And he asked me to walk in with him uh, wow. to his birthday party. And when I walked in, he introduced me as his next Maria for the revival. And wow. I, I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then that kind of fell through, right? Because the revival was postponed. Uh-huh. So then Carmelina happened for me. And then I had to re-audition for West Side four times and uh, Robbins I remember being told to wear flats because I was uh, what they would consider a tall Maria but I was very small you know but tall and so I they kept telling me wear flats wear flats right. <laughs> Liz Woodman who cast the West Side said wear flats Josie wear flats um, and um, so it it the last, the final audition, they had me do the last scene, and Jerry Friedman, Gerald Friedman, who co-directed with Jerome Robbins, the original and the revival, um, came up on stage with Jerry Robbins. Both Jerry's came up, and they go, that was very good. Now, we want you to do it again. And they went back into the audience <laughs> and had me do the whole last scene again, one right after the other. Can you believe that? Wow. And then I did it, and it all went well. And when I left, I don't know how, because there weren't any cell phones then. I guess I must have called my agent, and they told me I had the part. Uh, and I was like, I flew. I, I, I don't remember feeling the pavement. I just, I just flew. I just flew everywhere, thinking, oh, my God, I got Maria. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and- it was... It was quite amazing. And, and Bernstein was there, of course, and uh, he was very happy because his choice had been chosen by the rest of the group, thank God. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was a magical time. Oh, yeah. For me. And yeah. how much were he and Stephen Sondheim involved in the rehearsals? Were they? Oh, my God. Well, Stephen came. Uh, it, when we were on the road, but Bernstein was there. I remember rehearsing "I Feel Pretty" with Bernstein and and Sondheim when in Miami. But I remember Bernstein was there, and he there were times like he would come in and coach you, you know. Wow! So <laughs> that was pretty great. And Robbins was honest. I mean, because this was the first 
big revival, you know? Right. So they wanted it to be a certain way. They wanted it to be there, you know, and they wanted it. And you know how Robbins was a perfectionist. Right. So Robbins rehearsed us. You know, Jerry Friedman prepared us for Robbins. Then Robbins rehearsed us for um, another month. So we rehearsed for two months. Then we went on the road and rehearsed every day for three months while we were on the road. Wow. And those days, every day, Jerry Robbins was directing us with Jerry Friedman. Every day. Wow. And every day we had to have, we had to do a bar before rehearsal. And at the beginning, Jerome Robbins led that bar, that ballet bar. Uh-huh. And, um, it was extremely disciplined and and detailed. The whole the whole process was very detailed and wonderful. And um, I just I just Debbie Allen was my sister. Is right. my sister. I love Debbie Allen and everybody. Um, Hector Mercado, my brother. He was Bernardo. That whole cast of West Side Story. We still are in touch with each other. Uh. Um, we had our 40th anniversary reunion. Um, oh my God, it's already three years. Well, no, yeah, three years ago. And a lot of us were there in LA and James Mellon, who played Riff, uh, had us, had, did the reunion at his beautiful home. And, uh, oh my God, all these wonderful, a talented, Harlan Blackwell, who went on to become a pretty, big opera star and Nancy Ticketin who's had a wonderful career on Broadway and um and Bibi Newworth came with us on uh when we went to Europe she was understudying Anita she was uh-huh. understudying Nancy Bibi Newworth um so many people I'm trying to think who else uh Steve Bogardis right and Brent Barrett come on um Ken Marshall was the original Tony, but when Ken left, then, you know, we had Steve Bogart, we had Brent Barrett and Steve Bogartis, and I mean, it, it was, and, um, yeah, it was, yeah, okay. that was best time of our lives. <laughs> and what was the process like of sort of finding your own take on that role? Was there sort of any pressure to sort of be like what Carol Lawrence had done, or... No, no, not at all. Um, I, I don't know what she did, so I never felt I never felt pressured that way because I never saw what she did, right? So, um, but also Robin was working with who he was working with. My pressure was more for me to do what he wanted me to do, right? Right. Because I wanted them to be happy with what I came up with. And because I had grown up in Puerto Rico, I felt a very strong connection to Maria, right? I, even though Maria came from a different background, I, I know what that is really right. well. And I would be curious to know, what is it like to keep, or what is the process like of keeping up your voice when singing a role that's so challenging eight times a week as, mm. as Maria is? Well, at that time, I was really young, and 
I found that I could sing through anything. It was kind of great, <laughs> you know. Uh, I just went to class, I vocalized, and there I was, singing at night. Uh, and I didn't have a problem. Right. I think things happen later when you get older, and uh, and I feel like um, your body gets tired. And when your body gets tired, that's when the voice starts to get affected because the body gets tired. You don't have the stamina you had when you were 20, you know, you're 20. Um, yeah. So I didn't have a problem with Maria. And oddly enough, you know, I went off to do straight plays for a long, long time. And right. honestly, I stopped singing. Uh-huh. And now I'm about to, in September, probably do uh, Green Room 42, and I'm trying to get back in shape. And I'm oh. thinking, why did I ever stop singing? I mean, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> 17 years of not singing is wow. a long time. Yeah. Okay. And so... I think um, after West Side Story, you ended up in about a sort of 10-year break from Broadway. And was that yeah. on, on purpose, or was that just sort of how it happened? Or It's kind of how it happened, but I also made a conscious decision that, it's funny, I remember talking with Gerald Friedman about this, and he was another wonderful mentor. I remember talking with Jerry Friedman saying, you know, Jerry, I don't just want to do musicals. I want to do plays. Right. And he said, okay, <laughs> okay, let's do that. And so I've had some amazing collaborations in my life. I've been very, very lucky. Um, so I was cast as uh, as Solvig in Pear Gint at the Guthrie Theater, and Levi Chule directed me. That was my first, like, I went off from musical theater. But I didn't want to turn that down. It was a great opportunity for me to try out my acting chops without music, right? Right. And then when I spoke with Jerry Freeman, he said, okay, I want you to come this summer and we're going to do Tartuffe. And then we're going to do uh, La Ronde. And I want you to play, you know, the girl in Tartuffe and the girl in La Ronde, one of the girls in La Ronde. So, um... And then I started doing plays. I went to do, and but I was doing musicals at the same time because I went off to do, I've done Man of La Mancha twice in, you know, at the, the George Street Playhouse and Denver Center Theater. I went off to do, um, I, then I did, I worked at Yale Rep. I did Neapolitan Ghost there with Richard Libertini and Angela Pietro Pinto and Amy Aquino. And, and then I, I um, I went off back to Great Lakes to do Ghosts, and then I auditioned for Blood Wedding with uh, Jerry Friedman directing it with Graciela Daniele, went off to play The Bride for four months, um, and then um, I, you know, so my, my, it became a hodgepodge of straight plays and musicals, not necessarily on Broadway, but... Right with very good directors and good plays. So I was in it for the work. Right. I really wanted to work and, and grow. 
And what do you think makes an ideal director for you to collaborate with? Mm. Well, I like people who are, I like directors who see what you have to offer and, but also guide you and, and, and help you figure it out. Um, I, I don't like to be left alone completely to one device because I'm in it. So I, I need an outside eye to tell me what they think. I may not agree with them. And then we have to, like, I will, I will follow what they tell me to do and try it and see. And then I discover, oh, yeah, that's what they want, you know? Okay. Or, and yeah. one of the great directors I know you worked with during this time was Maria Irene Fornes. And what was that like to be working with her oh. on Lovers and Keepers? Oh, wow. <laughs> you, wow, you've done your homework. <laughs> Maria Irene Fornes, yes. Um, she, she was a character. I liked her. She, you know, she came from um, the fine art. She was a painter. She painted. So she was very um, physically oriented. She liked to uh, direct you very, like, place you in positions. In, in, like, I want you here when you're, like, there was a, a moment in the play I remember where she I was in bed with my husband and we were but it was um, she had me doing this very kind of mechanical uh, motion and I had to find how to interpret that in in acting wise not just physically right, right. so she was very uh, she was very much into um, the look of something and then you had to bring in in that case I don't know because that's the only piece I did with her but um you brought in the 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 other part the emotional life of the character through the movement that she gave you and so I believe you um returned to Broadway with Nick and Nora and how did that show yes. come about well, Arthur Lawrence um, asked me to audition, and uh, so I did, and uh, I uh, I got the part, and um, and then you know I I was fired from Nick and Nora um, after a couple of weeks of preview. Uh, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Um, the rehearsal process was fine. There was never any problem um, that I was aware of. And the first night I went on, after my first scene, I remember I, I got a, an applause, a huge uh -huh. applause. And Arthur didn't want the applause because it, it, it broke the um, it broke the 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 fluidness of the musical. He wanted it to keep going, right? So I I knew that they liked the audience liked what I was doing, at least. So um I I don't know what happened, but I was fired. And uh I I'm sorry that that happened, but um it was a show that had issues and um 
they never resolved their issues, unfortunately, um, for them. And because the cast was amazing, what an amazing cast! Right. Uh, and um, the writers and Charles Stroud, come on, you know how I'm, it was, and it was a great idea. But and that's where I met Faith Prince. And right. We're dear friends now. Um, but unfortunately. The issues weren't resolved. And for me, I think it was a blessing in disguise because I'm not sure that Guys and Dolls would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Nick and Laura. Oh, yeah. Not sure. Yeah. I'm sorry that that did happen, though. I'm sure it would have been better if, <laughs> if you were in it. And so how did um, Guys and Dolls first happen? Oh, <laughs> That was, that was that was very interesting. Um, well, I remember after being fired from Nick and Nora, I was um, asked to audition for Kiss of Spider Woman. Uh -huh. But I was given the song at 7 p.m. I don't know what it is about my karma, but 7 p.m. the night before, I remember calling my coach at the time, Steve Lutback, who was a godsend. He, he, like, he saw me. I learned this song at 7 p.m., went in at 10 o'clock the next morning, sang the song for Hal Prince. I mean, I don't even know how I did it. I was just <laughs> thinking of the song. I wasn't trying to act it. I wasn't trying to do anything but sing that song. And I did not get cast in Kiss of the Spider Woman, but I was standing in line to go see Dancing at Lunasa, and Vinnie Liff came up and said to me, well, you know, I'm sorry about Nick and Nora. What are you up to? I said, well, I'm just going up to Kripalo to meditate for a while. <laughs> to be who I am and not what I do so that I can just, you know, come back. And he said, don't go. You're going to be seen for guys and dolls. Uh -huh. You will be seen for guys and dolls. Because my agent had been trying to get me in. And I kept being told that I wasn't right for it, that I wasn't right for it, that I wasn't right for it. So Vinnie Liff let me in, and I auditioned. And um, I went off. At the time I was married, I, I went off somewhere else. I went off skiing. After the audition, we went skiing. And I was skiing, and I was called. After a, a couple of months, I guess it was a few months, I was told, would you like to understudy Sarah and I said you know I'll stand by at that point I felt like I I didn't want to be I wanted to stand by and I said I'm happy to stand by I had never stood by before um so I accepted and uh I came into rehearsal period the process late in the rehearsal they were it was two weeks before um, they were starting previews that I came in. So I wasn't with the group from the beginning. And I and all the Sarah and Sky rehearsals were done closed door. So I didn't I was not um, privy to those rehearsals. I wasn't there. Right. I started watching rehearsals during preview previews, but I did see a run-through of the show, and I was at rehearsal seeing the, you know, the run-throughs that they were doing at that time. 
Um, so I got myself, I prepared, my coach at the time was Alice Bivak. I prepared, and um, two weeks into previews, I get a call from Jerry Zax. And he says, Josie, um, you're going in on Thursday. And I went, what? <laughs> he called me on a Sunday. Um, I hadn't had a standby rehearsal. I hadn't. And you're going in on Sunday. Wow. Tomorrow you you have a rehearsal with me. Tuesday you have a rehearsal with the stage managers. Thursday you have a put-in rehearsal, and you go on Thursday night. <laughs> I went. I took a deep breath. I went. Okay. He said, "I cannot promise you the part because the producers and I have to make sure that." you can do what we want for what we see the character as whatever, you know, I said, okay. Okay. So come Thursday, you know, I have my rehearsal with Jerry. We talk, he gives me directions and um, I was prepared. I knew my part, you know, I knew my songs. I had watched the blocking. I kind of knew the blocking. Jerry gave me some notes. I did my, um, then I did my rehearsal with the stage managers, Stephen Becker, um, and, um, and then on Thursday I had to put in rehearsal at four o'clock. And I remember giving, being given the choreography for Havana at 4.30. I had never rehearsed the choreography for Havana. So Sarah was really, Sarah, I was really, you know, because Sarah, what does Sarah know about dancing salsa, right? So (laughs) I was really in character during the whole Havana scene because I, oh my God. So um, luckily I knew Peter and luckily I had worked with Faith because Faith and I had played lovers in Nicanora. So, um, (laughs) so I remember both Faith and Peter coming up and saying, whatever you need, whatever you need. So I felt very welcomed by them. Oh. You know, it was, they were very sweet. And Peter and I knew each other pretty well because we knew each other. He was doing grief. I was doing runaway. And um, we became close friends during that time. After runaways and West Side, we were, we were close friends. So, so then, um, I remember that night, I just went scene by scene thinking, I'm going to enjoy this because I may not get to do it again. So I'm going to enjoy this. So I just went scene by scene by scene by scene. And at the end of that run, the audience stood up. Uh. We had a standing ovation for the first time. The show kind of just, fell into place. And the next day I had red roses and champagne from the producers and I got the part. Oh. I feel bad because I I I think Carolyn Manini, very talented, wonderful actress. It's a hard situation when you come into um into somebody else's role, you know? I uh, ugh. 
but it was like a bittersweet thing. It was, I'm, I was sad and sorry for Carolyn, but I was happy for me right. that, that I was able to come through with it. And I know um, Jerry Zachs has sort of a reputation for being very exacting about his comedy and his shows as well. And did you have more opportunity to work with him later on? Or was it just those rehearsals during that week? It was during those two weeks of previews that I rehearsed. But I had watched him, you know, with the company for the prior two weeks when I came in, their last two weeks of rehearsal, of rehearsals. So I knew he was very exacting. But, you know, being a musical theater person, I am musical, right? And he's very musical with his comedy. He uh -huh. is very, it's almost like music, right? The the uh, the way he worked, like he, I remember him saying to me um, at one point, marry the man today. He said, Josie, this is the setup sentence. This is the setup. You're you're setting face up for her laugh. If your setup is not right on, her laugh gets affected. Right. So remember that. And that was a huge lesson for me. And so we were a team, right? She got the laugh, but I set her up. You know, well, audiences don't realize that, but actors do. If you have right. a partner on stage and you're playing comedy and your partner is not doing it well, you're not going to get the laugh that you would get if your partner is setting you up right. And that was a huge lesson for me with Jerry Zach. It was great. And it was great to see the results because, you know, Faith got great laughs. I mean, that scene was so much fun to do, the two of us. But I never had a. I loved working with him. I loved his exactness, his being so, you know, uh, exact about things. I did. It's wonderful. Yeah. And what was it like to be part of such a long-running show? And mm. it's it was a double-edged. I remember going on Gerardo. Remember he had a, uh, you may not because you're so young, but he had a show, oh, a yes. talk show yes. on television. Do you, do you know about it? Yes, yes, I do know. Okay, well, Judd Hirsch, we were there, we were being, I was being interviewed, Judd Hirsch was being interviewed, and Judd Hirsch said, um, the second worst thing to a flop is a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I went like, right on! <laughs> because the demand the demand of a long-running show, you know? it's You're doing eight shows a week, and it's a big hit, and the producers expect you to be tip-top shape every... You can't phone it in. You're playing a lead. You can't phone it in. Right. You know? Uh, so I would say, like Judd Hirsch, it's a double-edged sword. It's great... And really tough. And I tell you, I started getting panic attacks uh. during the run because I had been working so hard for so long and I never really had a long rehearsal period, right? I went into, after a while, and there was a, a rake stage with um, 
with the lighting, the lighting kind of was a little hard on us, you know, because it, the slant of the stage and all that. And I thought there was something wrong with me, but it was just a long running show. And then I, and then I found out that I wasn't alone, that, you know, that, um, a lot of actors go through that. Right. So including, including Laurence Olivier. So I thought, uh-huh. oh, I'm in good company. <laughs> <laughs> so. And what was it like to work with Nathan Lane too, who of course is such a great actor? Oh God, it was great. He was so sweet, Charles. He was so supportive. I can't tell you, he wrote me a beautiful note the day after, the night after I came in. He wrote, he wrote me a beautiful note. Um, and we didn't have many, we didn't have any scenes except at the end, right? Right. You know, we had, uh, and we're not, we're not even, we never really talk to each other. We, we do, um, sit down here, rock in the boat. And then at the end, I come in with Peter and he's with Faith and that's it. So I didn't have any scenes with Nathan per se, but we were all in it, you know? And so, um, he was extremely supportive. I gotta say, extremely supportive. That is great. Great to hear. Yeah. And then, so after um, Guys and Dolls, were you still auditioning for Broadway, or how did the decision come eventually to sort of move away from New York? And oh, well, I, yeah, I I auditioned for Broadway, um, but there were times when I wanted to audition that I wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't see me for oh. certain things, you know. Some casting directors like you, some don't, and that's there's nothing you can do about that. Um, I and um, I was I was invited to uh, to work at the alley, and um, there was a a life change for me. Um, I had been married to somebody who lived here in Jersey, and. Um, I wasn't leaving the area maybe once a year. Like I went to do She Loves Me at Great Lakes and I went to do um, stuff. I I went to do uh, Praying with the Enemy in Florida, but I, I didn't go away often or I was just trying to stay in New York. But when that happened, when my ex and I separated, um, I started uh, being more free to leave this area and um, I started working at the Alley Theater with Gregory Boyd. And um, another amazing collaboration, Greg and I had met uh, at the Berkshire Theater Festival, and I did a musical called Portrait of Jenny, um, written by Howard Marin and Enid Butterman, and um, David Carroll, sang with me did we did uh, the leads in that and Ed Lindick was in it and Ruby Holbrook and um it was um that's where I met Greg first met Greg and then we went our separate ways and then he invited me to come and audition for the alley again and um I did and uh the first invite um, I turned down because I went off to do a play that might have been coming to New York, Praying with the Enemy, which didn't. So 
And then he invited me to do House and Garden to play Lucille Cadeau, the uh-huh. French movie actress. Excuse me. And I went down and I had a ball. I had to learn. My character only spoke in French. And um, it was a fun, fun character. And then from there, he asked me if I would do other plays. Like I ended up um, doing, uh, and then there were none. Uh-huh. by Agatha Christie. Oh my God, I did so many Agatha Christie's. Uh, just amazing. What a writer. And so underrepresented and so under, not not valued. She writes amazing roles for women and women don't even know it. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, this woman, she was great. And she, and she loves the theater and she knows plays she really knows how to write a play but anyway so I did and then there were none and then he asked me if I would do half good Tom Stopper how can you turn down Tom Stopper <laughs> and the thing is he knows Tom Stopper this guy really knows Tom Stopper even Tom Stopper said Gregory Boyd knows Tom Stopper <laughs> you know uh, so and then from then on it was I did Arthur Miller, I did Chekhov, I did Shakespeare, I did Alan Akeborn, I, I did Michael Frayne, I did Char White, I did uh, Tracy Letts. Um, I, I can't tell you how many plays I have done. And all the parts, all of them were leading roles and all of them were fantastic. I got to work with David Crowman. I got to work with John Randall in The Man Who Came to Dinner and Mrs. Mannerly, written by Jeffrey Hatcher. And um, I remember what John Randall came to um, came down to direct a few times. And he said, you know, I love coming to the alley because it's all about the work. You don't have any pressure. You just do the work. Right. And, um, and that's how it felt. I... I just was doing the work, growing as an artist. I was in the trenches. There's always, you know, it's always difficult, one thing or another. But I was working with very good actors, actors like Elizabeth Heflin, um, James um, Black, um, Todd Waite, Jeffrey Bean, Elizabeth Bunch. I, I got to work with, and, and, and so I was working with good actors, good directors, Beautiful production because the alley, the, the Houstonians are very, very proud of supporting the arts. Oh. And and I remember when we when we did Artist Osage County, it was like being in a rock concert almost because the audience, the way the audience reacted to the production, they were like in it, and they oh. were and they were like they would stand up, standing ovations. And, wow. It was, uh, yeah, it's been an amazing run for me. I, I don't, I miss New York. Sometimes I miss New York, but I was so in the trenches doing the work. Um, it was very satisfying. I was sad that I couldn't share it with my friends in New York or an audience in New York. I was sad that I couldn't share it, but, um, you know, there were great audiences in Houston, and right. uh, people came, Jack O'Brien came once to see a play. 
you know, people come from outside and see the, they came and saw the production some, sometimes. So. And so to bring us up to the present day, I'd be curious to know what was your experience like during the pandemic and where were you located for it? Or mm. Yeah. Well, we had that 40th anniversary reunion in LA and I was considering spending more time in LA because I reunited with my manager, David Gus, and I thought, mm, maybe let's see, maybe LA um, maybe that could be fun. Uh-huh. Um, I studied with Rob Krakauer and Eric Rice, his assistant, and so I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe I'll try. I'll try this for a little while. But um, the pandemic hit and kind of blew everything out of the water. Uh-huh. And I was coming back up to the Northeast, and um, Greg, who is my partner, said, yeah, "You should." stay in Houston for now because, um, you know, it, there's a lot more people up in New York and you can isolate here better than in New York. And, and that's what I did. So I stayed in Houston for a long time, um, eight months. And, uh, it's been, uh, I don't know, it, it did something to me being, spending all that time isolated I don't know and I feel so so for the theater because it's it's I think it affected our community in a huge huge way audiences are still like struggling I think I mean I haven't been around I'm looking forward I'm seeing my friend Donna Murphy tomorrow in dear world and I'm so excited Um, oh that's great I actually (laughs) saw it last night how did it go? It was wonderful. I think you'll love it. I think. Oh, great. Oh, great. Yes. yes. I love her. I'm looking forward to seeing the production. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And uh, theater is so expensive now, too. Right. You know, I remember West Side Story orchestra seats were $20. Can you believe it? Wow. And even Guys and Dolls orchestra seats were $75. And I think, you know, Families struggle to go see plays, right? You bring a family, it costs so much money. Right. And then on top of that, you have COVID. And on top of that, there's um, a lot going on politically that uh, is is um, different from when I was around, you know. Um, I, I feel for the theater. I feel for my colleagues and I. And I just hope I, I, I just hope we can uh, bring it back, you know, to get back on, on its feet. And so the final question I would love to ask you is, with such a wonderful career, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Oh, God. Well, first of all, know that that's really what you want to do, that there's nothing else. <laughs> that there's nothing else in the world you can do. I remember Nathan telling everybody, if there's nothing else you can do, (laughs) stay in the theater. But it's very tough. So you have to know that that's your passion, that that's that's what you want to do. I also think that in this day and age, trying, I remember uh, getting advice from Hugh Landauer saying, you have to go where you're wanted. Right. 
go where you're wanted. There are obstacles everywhere. And that's the nature of the beast. Not because I think sometimes, yes, but, and that's, that's another obstacle. But I think it's just because there's so many of us, so much talent, and the jobs, there's not that many jobs to accommodate all the talent. So I think we have to find our way. You know, we have to find our own way. There's, there, I feel like um, there's a lot of grievance out there now. Right. And some of it I feel is valid. But I think some of it has to come from us. We, not, not the grievances. We have to find our way. And we have to go where we are wanted. And so find your, my advice is find your way, go where you're wanted, and follow your heart and your passion. And have patience, have much patience. And what, like my friend Faith Prince says, when one door closes, another one opens. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been such an honor to talk to you. And. Oh, it's been great talking with you, Charles, and, and I want to thank you for having this blog and being interested in trying to keep record of the theater. Oh, yes. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember to buy tickets to Josie's show, and remember to come back next week when I will be joined by Tony-winning director Kenny Leon, who is helming the upcoming production of Pearly Victorious. His other direction credits include Ohio State Murders, Top Dog Underdog, A Soldier's Play, Children of a Lesser God, A Raisin in the Sun, Stick Fly, Fences, and Radio Golf, among many others. You won't want to miss that episode, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.